Welcome to the third episode of Film Studies Bling Bling. Today you will hear a short conversation I had with Joanne Neuberger. I asked her some questions about public history and film studies and her project Not Even Past. Among other things, the news is about the journal apparatus. And in my diary, I still won't go into the content of my research project. Instead, I will explain what so-called small disciplines actually are. Here's my bling of the month, an interview with the brilliant and warm-hearted Joanne Neuberger. Hi, Joanne. Thank you for taking time for a talk. Thank you for having me. Before we talk about public history and film studies, it would be great if you would introduce yourself. At which university are you working and in which department? What are your main research areas? I'm a professor of history at the University of Texas at Austin, and um, I teach Russian history here, modern Russian history. Uh, I mostly teach courses on cultural and social history, and my own research is on film studies um, I write about Eisenstein and um, classic Soviet cinema. And you are, Joanne, a real, real expert in public history. Just to give one example, in 2018, you received the Herbert Feist Award. I did, did I say it right, Herbert Feist? Yes. Okay. Uh, from the American Historical Association for Distinguished Contributions to Public History. So, wow, underlined, you are an expert. So... <laughs> First right, that's the other hat I wear at um, at the University of Texas. I I run the history department's public history website, not even past, and a number of other projects like that. And that's exactly what I would like to ask you about. But before we talk about uh, your work as an editor for, um, of not even past, first of all, in, in a more general level, how would you define public history? Well, we define public history here as making professional history accessible and available to the public. So our goal is to make history at the highest standards possible available to anyone who's interested in history. And uh, Not Even Past is one of your projects that gives you the possibility to make history available for a broad audience. Can you give us some ideas? How does this project works and where we can find it? Sure. Well, you can find it at notevenpast.org. And Not Even Past is a, it's a kind of history magazine online. We feature books written by members of the history department or people who do anything history related, even in art history or anthropology and other programs, in the film studies program and so on. Uh, and then we have book reviews, film reviews. We have a blog. We're People can write short essays about really anything. We have a digital history, a new digital history column where we're writing reviews of digital history projects and digital history sites. So things like digitized archives online. We have and we have a separate column on Texas history because we're in Texas and a lot of people here want to read about Texas. So our goal is again really to make a wide wide variety of history available to people. And especially this the the website is set up so that when you maybe get you click on a, a story, it's really easy to see other stories and click on them. So one of my goals has always been to provide people with stories that may not be something they know that they're interested in uh, and, and encourage people to look beyond the subjects that they think they want to know about. 
And there is a very beautiful spin-off of Not Even Past. Um, you're using a podcast as well, the 15-minute history. Can you tell us or give us a, a short or brief insight into what we can experience when we uh, listen to this special podcast or spin-off of Not Even Past? Uh, well, 15-minute history is pretty much what it says it is. We do informal interviews with people, with historians, graduate students, and faculty members from the University of Texas, but also visitors to the university uh, on the widest possible range of, of topics. We have over 100 episodes now, and the episodes range from about, they're usually not 15 minutes, I have to say, but they're around 20, 25 minutes. Uh, we have a few very long ones because we just couldn't stop talking to a couple people. They're great for listening to when you go for a walk or when you're making dinner or in the if you're driving somewhere or just riding the bus. Our goal is 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 really the same. It's it's to get people interested in history and learn what kinds of things professional history historians are doing. It was started because um, in Texas we were aware of attempts to force high school teachers and other teachers to teach really incorrect, um, inaccurate history on very important topics of public interest, on things like Islam and the Middle East, and on things like the history of slavery, which isn't taught very well here. Um, so we wanted to provide uh, the most up-to-date and the most accurate history in a form that was really accessible, in a form that students could, well, originally our goal, our target audience was um, high school teachers, middle school and high school teachers. Uh, but they've been really popular with students. They're a great way to study. And some teachers use them in their classes. And you're not only using audio. I mean, film is also a very important. I mean, there is even a category, film and media, at uh, Not Even Past. And you mentioned it before. I mean, you are a film historian and um, um, doing public history at the same time. So there is a link between not even past and film studies, I would say. Um, for instance, what I discovered and found very interesting is um, the not even past film series, Faces of Migration. Mm -hmm. So I thought maybe this is quite a good case to have a look on, well, where is the link between film studies and public history? Where does these two um, fields come together in your project, not even past? Yes, because I'm a film studies person. Uh, I, I, I'm really aware of the way that movies are, are very useful for teaching history. Historical movies are incredibly popular, but people often really want to know what really happened. Filmgoers are usually pretty aware of the fact that films, historical films, are not the most accurate representation of a historical story, even though, of course, we all love them. But we also love to go home immediately and, and look up the Wikipedia page to find out what what really happened, supposedly. Um, so that's the, one of the reasons that we have a, a film review uh, column on Not Even Past. And it's very popular. Those stories always get a lot of attention. It's a little hard for me to get grad students and faculty members to write about films. I think they feel a, certain, a little co competition from film critics, or they feel like they're not really specialists. Um, so we don't have as many reviews of films as I would like. Um, but then also at a time when, this was a few years ago, uh, when immigration was becoming a major topic in, in public discourse, um, I thought it'd be a great idea to have a film series where we could um, provide another side of the immigration debate and really show, once I started looking for films about migration, it became really clear that there was a huge range of films from all over the world that showed what migration was like for people who were migrating. We thought that this would be a way to both 
start a conversation about migration on campus and then also encourage people to have um, empathy for the for the migrants. Often people don't really understand just how difficult it is to move from one country to another, to learn a whole new language, um, and how vulnerable they are in the process. This was, and it was actually really a successful program. Um, it was a lot of work, and all of these programs are outside my normal job, so um, they take up a lot of extra work, but it, it, was, it was really successful. We had really good audiences at each of the screenings. What would you, what is your opinion? I mean, film studies and public history, what would you say are film studies already strongly represented in this field when you look to other universities? Um, does film scholars do enough to make making their research available and accessible to everyone outside academia? Well, I think there, film studies is huge. So there, there are a lot of ways in which film scholars are, in fact, reaching out to the public. And one of the things that I've become interested in in my own teaching is using video essays, which have become a very popular way of um, talking to the public on YouTube and on special dedicated sites like Film Studies for Free or In Transition uh, that publish film uh, video essays. So these are short, usually around 10 minute, uh, little film documentaries about film content, about film structures, about themes in films. And I'm using them this year in the film studies course that I'm teaching on Soviet film. I mean, I'm having students create uh, video essays of their own. And it's turning out to be a really interesting way of engaging um, non-specialists in film studies. So so there are projects like that. There, there are also a lot of projects in... Um, various cities around the United States. I, I don't know if this is happening in Europe, but there are projects that are training young students um, in community centers to make documentary films, to go out and record oral histories, but to record them with video, teaching students the technical skills to um, be able to make films about their own communities. And I think one of the things that we don't do here at UT Uh, is um, engage in a kind of bilateral project. So all of my projects are kind of unilateral. That is, we bring history to the public. Um, but I think what's missing from our program is more cooperative um, projects with members of the community developing um, public history together. Is there more that we could do? Yes, I think there's a huge amount more that we could do. People love movies. And as I said, people love historical movies. So I think it's fine to, you know, go, I think it really, even though even though film uh, historical movies often are not particularly accurate, they encourage people to think about history. Uh, and then we can engage in conversations about important historical topics. And is there a public history slash film studies project you're currently working on? There isn't, but I'm thinking about, um, I've really enjoyed doing things with uh, video essays this semester, and I'm thinking about trying to do a, uh, a graduate course. I teach a graduate course on public and digital history, and thinking about organizing one around um, making movies. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> um, Joanne, that was our talk already. Thank you very much for uh, being with me and having a short chat about public history and film studies. And I'm quite sure that uh, we will have a talk during my podcast production again. I really hope so. And I wish you all the best with your video essays and the projects to come on Not Even Past and film studies and all the beautiful things you do also in the Eisenstein uh, International Network, where I know you from. Well, thank you very much 
much for having me. One of the great things about the Eisenstein Network is that it is international, so we're all making new friends and discovering new projects around the world. So thank you very much. Here is a piece of news for you. Do you remember Fiction and Imagination in Early Cinema, a book that was published recently? I talked about it in the first episode. Marius Schlugen from the Queen Mary University of London is the author. He is in the editorial team of the journal Apparatus, Film, Media and Digital Cultures of Central and Eastern Europe. And in the first episode of this podcast, I've promised to say something about that journal. In December, the latest issue of Apparatus, Apparatus number no. 9, was published. Apparatus is an open-access, peer-reviewed academic journal edited and published by Natasha Drubeck. Apparatus deals with film, media and digital cultures of Eastern, Central and Southeastern Europe. The journal follows, as far as I know, a unique language policy. The editorial team publishes articles in the entire languages of the regions mentioned above, accompanied by abstracts in English, German and Russian. So you can imagine the high editorial effort behind each of the contributions. The latest issue consists of four peer-reviewed articles. For instance, an article by Verzi Vukovic, analyzing two case study films having in common that classification as Yugoslav new films. Vukovic investigates representations of suicide committed by working female protagonists. The current issue also contains eight reviews. For instance, a Russian review of Der neue Mensch, Aufbruch und Alltag im revolutionären Russland, a DVD edition with feature films, documentaries and animated films from the years 1924 to 1932, reflecting the cinematic imaginations of the young Soviet state, edited by Alexander Schwarz and Rainer Rother. Apart from that, the current issue contains an interview with a Polish experimental artist, Josef Rabukowski, titled Art is Energy, Art is Power. The editorial team of Apparatus currently welcomes articles and suggestions for topics with guest editorship. So check out their website and read the articles and maybe submit an article yourself. As a further piece of news, I would like to mention a very short article I found on the website of the University of Sydney. In it, the film scholar Bruce Isaacs has his say on Star Wars and how critiques and fans will deal with the end of the nine-movie saga. Also, an astrophysicist and a scholar from religious studies comment on Star Wars. You learn how an astrophysicist views Star Wars and you get some information about Jediism, a religious movement that makes Jedis the center of their faith. On our project page, you can find the link to the article, but you can also look it up on the news page of the University of Sydney. But as I said, it's only a very short article that I stumbled upon while strolling through the film studies universe on the internet. Dear Diary, I thought, before I finally come to the content of my research project, it would be good to first explain what the funding line that finances the project is actually about. The funding line is called Kleine Fächer Große Potenziale, Small Disciplines High Potential. Well, the term small already gives an indication that it is obviously not about big disciplines like medicine or law. So what defines small disciplines? First of all, the respective scholars have to define themselves as members of an independent discipline. Second, small disciplines have their own professional scholarly networks as well as national and international scientific journals. 
Furthermore, small disciplines have their own permanent courses of study for students. And there have to be permanent professorships conducting research in this discipline. A small discipline is further defined by the fact that there are, on average, only three permanent professorships per university per country. The small disciplines include, for example, Arab studies, computational linguistics or oceanography, and also film studies. As you can easily imagine, small disciplines have other problems than the big disciplines. The fact that it is sometimes difficult for the small disciplines to assert themselves in the battle over resources at the universities is one of the main challenges. A so-called Orchideenfach, nicknamed after the proverbially precious but delicate orchid flower, can be comparatively rationalized in an easier way than a big discipline with many students, doctorates and professorships. Furthermore, it is more difficult for small disciplines to provide visibility as well as public appreciation of their work and to show how important their research is for society. So the funding line Small Disciplines High Potential was set up to counteract these challenges, among others. The funding is intended to strengthen the small disciplines as a whole, to better communicate research results and to mark research in the small disciplines as a substantial contribution to the development of science, society and culture. It would be great to hear from you whether there is a sensitivity to the need to promote small disciplines in other countries. So please feel invited to write to me about your experiences with small disciplines outside Germany. That was Film Studies Bling Bling. As you know, I'm not a native English speaker, so please bear with me for not delivering perfect English here. In the next episode, I'm talking to Dustin Conran. He's assistant professor of Russian at the Department of Modern Language, Literatures and Linguistics at the University of Oklahoma. What Dustin has to do with film studies, we will find out in the next Bling of the Month. Have you found a treasure related to film studies? Please let me know. I would love to conduct an interview with you or to talk about your treasure in the news section. 